you have your Bibles, go ahead and flip to 1 Peter. 1 Peter. Let's get a running start at it. Start in verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace unto you and peace be multiplied. What we spent our time on last week was these next passages about this blessing from the Lord. He's blessing the Lord, blessing the Father. And uh, another word we could use that for blessing, blessed be the God, is uh, to adore. Adore the Father. Worship the Father. He's worthy to be adored and worshipped. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy hath begotten us again. We were dead. We were dead in trespasses and sins. We had no spiritual life. We had no spiritual discernment. That's where we all start. So when Jesus talks about he that hath ears to hear, let him hear, he's referring to those who have been given ears. There's a point in your life when you didn't have them. You could sit here under the sound of the gospel and it would just sound like, what's this guy yammering about? Why is he wasting his time? Our natural man can't receive it. But when we're given new life, and that's an operation of God, that's the Holy Spirit quickening you, making you alive, it's by His mercy He hath begotten us again, made us born again, given spiritual life, unto a lively hope. We have a living hope in the person of Jesus and His work and what we have to look forward to, a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That was the work that had to be done in order for us to have a lively hope. If he did not come from the grave, if Jesus is still dead, then there's no point for us to be here. We can just go home. Pack it all in. Everything hinges upon that. That is the, the symbol and the acceptance that his sacrifice was paid the debt. That, he, that you are now free and clear that all of your sins have been paid for by him. And he is living and reigning. He's begotten us unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance, that promise of in heaven and being with God, which is incorruptible and undefiled, that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. It doesn't change. Everything in this world will change and fade and go away and fail. This does not. This inheritance that you have is perfect. All right? It can't be stolen. It can't be messed up in the court system. You... you you try to have an inheritance that's big enough, somebody's going to fight you for it down here below, right? They'll hire a bunch of attorneys and they'll waste the whole principle of it fighting it. This is not like that. This is perfect, incorruptible, doesn't go away, undefiled, it's pure, and it doesn't. it's not going to go away. It's great. Reserved in heaven for you. That's what you've been born again to, a lively hope of Jesus Christ by His work. Something that you're looking forward to, that inheritance, that which He bought with His life, and now, as you're here in this world, you are kept. Who are kept or guarded by the power of God through faith. It's all working together. The power of God operating through your faith unto salvation. How long is it going to last? How long is God going to keep you? All the way. All the way. Unto salvation. Ready to be revealed in the last time when Christ 
returns. All right? Wherein ye greatly rejoice. Those are things worth rejoicing in. That lively hope, your living Savior, the inheritance that He's got for you, and that you're being kept by God now. Greatly rejoice in those things. Though, now for a season, if need be, if the Lord either causes or allows, if for a season, ye be in heaviness through manifold temptation. Temptations are testings, trials. And they're not just any kind of temptation or trial. It's a testing of your faith. So as it says in verse 7, that the trial of your faith, the, the putting your faith to proof, your faith which is much more precious than of gold, which perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory. Okay, Your faith is strengthened and grown and purified through the trials that you go through. Right? I've never purified gold, but I imagine from what I have read that if you take some impure gold that's got some other junk mixed up in there and you heat it up, you can get those separated, right? So you're left with just the pure gold. That's what happens in our life with the trials of our faith, okay? The stuff that we've got kind of mixed in there, the hindrances, the impurities, you know, the inheritance we've got is pure. Our lives here are not pure, right? Everything we do is, is, is broken and tainted, but the Lord can purify us through those trials. That at the end, it might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, ye love. Right? These people he's writing to, they weren't there at the early church. They had not seen Jesus in person when he was walking before his crucifixion. They hadn't seen him after the fact, and yet they still love him. Right? Though now ye see him not, they're currently not seeing him, Hadn't seen him before. They don't currently see him. Yet they believe. Remember old Thomas, right? Thomas said, you know, unless I see him for myself, I'm not going to believe. And Jesus said, you know, here I am. Go ahead and stick your hand in the hole in my side where they hit him with the spear. Um, he said, but blessed are those who are able to believe without seeing. And that's you and me today. You've been blessed to have the ability to believe. You've been given faith by God to love Jesus and to believe that he's real. That's a gift. That's a blessing. In whom thou you see him not yet believing, you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. So, um, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your soul. So, going down from seven to nine, you've, the eight, you've kind of got that, that couplet that we're talking about Jesus, but read seven to nine where it goes um, that your faith might be found into praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. And nine receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your soul. So it, that verse 8 is modifying. It's talking about Jesus specifically. But 7 and 8, the idea continues that when will your faith be shown and glorifying Him at the appearing of Jesus Christ? That's when you receive the end of your faith, the salvation of your soul. That's when it all ties in together. That's when you get to see it most clearly. And when you die and go to be with Him, your, your spirit's there immediately. Your body's still planted in the ground. It goes back to dust. But when Christ returns, your bodies will be changed instantly. They'll be glorified. And you will be able to, in a glorified body, praise God perfectly. That's what we're looking for. That's the full work of the salvation that you're going to be able to see at that point um, whenever Christ returns. Receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. And this salvation, that's what the Old Testament prophets, they wanted to know about it. It wasn't revealed plainly. There were clues, there were hints, and as we go through our Bible study on Wednesday nights, we're going to be looking at those. What are those clues and what are those hints? How do we know they're clues and hints? Because in the New Testament it makes it plain. It says, this is a clue, this is a hint, this was pointing to Christ. 
Okay? We've got the full picture, but they, the prophets, they inquired about it. They were diligently searching. They prophesied of the grace that should come unto you and unto me. Searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ which was in them did signify. They're trying to understand. I mean, they're being used to inspire Scripture, and they're reading that Scripture trying to understand what's Christ going to be like? When's He going to come? What manner is it going to be? And what's going to happen after? What's the glory that should follow? When it testified beforehand the suffering of Christ and the glory that should follow. Unto whom it was revealed? The prophets back then. Not unto themselves, but unto us they did minister those things. So yeah, they were spoken by God to write them, but even they didn't have full understanding of them. And God's using those to minister us today. That we can learn more about His Son and about God's big picture plan. Can we understand it all? Nope. <laughs> His mind is way bigger than ours. But we can study what He's revealed and try and understand it better. All right, Which are now reported unto you um, by them which preach the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, which things the angels desire to look into. How important is Jesus Christ's work? And now that it's been revealed plainly, even the angels in heaven, they didn't have the full picture beforehand. And now as it's being revealed, they were interested in wanting to know what is going on. So, we get to verse 13, we get to a wherefore. Whenever we see a wherefore in Scripture, it means because. Because of what came before, something needs to happen. Because of all that I just said, because our great God and His mercy has given you new life unto a lively hope and to an inheritance that won't go away, right? and that He's keeping you now, and that you've got this wonderful truth about Jesus Christ and what He's done, that the Old Testament prophets, they didn't get all that, because all that is true, wherefore, because of that, do something. Right. Gird up the loins of your mind. And we talked about the illustration of you know, long flowing roads, right? You try and run a race with that, you're going to trip over your feet. The idea of girding up was you have a belt around you, you kind of take the folds of it, you tuck it in, so you're ready to go without having your feet all irritated. Well, the idea is it's of your mind. I don't want you to, I don't want you to go buy robes and wear belts. That's not the point. <laughs> the point is to have your mind in control, all right? Remembering these truths that you were born again unto a lively hope to an inheritance that can't be taken away and you're being kept by God. If you've got those things in mind, your imagination, your worries and your anxieties are much less likely to run away with you. Rather than focusing on the wind and the waves and the sea. Remember when Peter got out of the boat, right? Everything was scary when he quit focusing on Christ. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober. Don't be given to extremes. Right? To be alert and to be focused. And hope to the end. And that hope, that is a, that's an assurance. Right? That, is, that is firmly persuaded. Not just I wish, but I am hoping. I understand what Christ has done because what He has said here in His Word, I'm hoping all the way to the end. For what? For that grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. This world, this life, ain't it. If this is as best as it gets, right? But it's not. Right? You ask somebody how they're doing. Well, I woke up on the right side of the dirt, so I'm doing okay. (laughs) In some sense, I can get that. But in another sense, when you wake up on the other side of the dirt, it's going to be a lot better. And when Christ returns, it's going to be even better than that. Our minds can't wrap our right. Our, our minds cannot really wrap our heads around it. All right? That's what we're hoping towards. This is not it. You can gather all the stuff in the world. 
You can have all the power. You can have all the fame. You name it. Whatever the world says, you need to have this to be happy. Get it. Get all that. And it's still far, far short of that which is to come for God's children. Okay? By His work. That's the hope that we have. Hope to the end. Fully persuaded it's coming. Hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ, at the revealing of Jesus Christ. And so, because you're doing those things, girding up your line, being sober, hoping to the end, as obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance. There was a time when there was a before. Right? Before the Lord, I like the expression, the Lord got a hold of you. Right? And you acted... And you thought and you pursued things that were different from what you should be pursuing now. At that point, you were a disobedient child. And you chased the things of the world. Right? The lust of the flesh, the pride of the eyes, the things that make you feel good in a carnal sense. Right? Now, having been born again under this lively hope to an inheritance incorruptible that faded not the way, and who are kept by God, we should be fashioning ourselves to something different. If you've been adopted by your Heavenly Father, and He said, this, by the blood of Jesus Christ, I have paid for you and adopted you into my family, that makes you His child. And as any child, we should want to be obedient to our fathers. Right? As natural children, we want to obey our fathers, even more so to our perfect Heavenly Father. As obedient children not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance. You were dead. You didn't know better. That's all you knew. You were in bondage to sin and you were chasing after it. But now that you've been quickened, that you've been made alive, that you've been given spiritual discernment, don't continue to fashion yourself. And that, and that, that word fashioning means to conform to the same pattern. Okay? It's only used one other time in Scripture, and that shows up in Romans 12. Romans 12. Again, the context here is how do you live out your life now? Knowing these things are true, how do you live it out? Chapter 12, verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world. Same word. Fashioning yourself, conforming to this world. That the way we govern ourselves, and this is this is not earning your way into heaven. You can't do it. Right? You can't be good enough. The illustration I tried to use yesterday at Zion is like, that's trying to dig the Grand Canyon with a spoon. It ain't going to happen. But because of what Christ has done, and because of the truth that have been revealed to you, and, and what you have to look forward to, your life should look different. Because of that, out of gratitude and love and mercy. And so here he's saying, using the expression, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. This is not some cult where it says, go kill yourself. No. The way you live, it should be pleasing and honoring to God. Why? Because he's your father. And you want to please him, honor him, and bring him glory. And it's your reasonable service. I often ask my children that. When I tell them, we're going to do this, this, and this, does any of that sound unreasonable? And often that's a loaded question. Because the answer is no. But I give them the opportunity to at least say, well, Dad, I don't think this is reasonable because of blah, blah, blah. But this is not an unreasonable service for us to conform our bodies as a living sacrifice and to be holy, as He is holy, acceptable, acceptable, well-pleasing unto God. And be not conformed 
to this world. Don't fashion yourself after the pattern of this world, right? Don't go to the magazines and say, oh, look what these people say. Well, you have to do to make yourself happy. Serve yourself. That's fashioning yourself after this world. Don't go for the world for your advice. What's it say after that? Verse 2. But be transformed. Change. Something different from this world. Something different from what you used to be. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove, that you may test, what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now, some people will try to distort that and say, well, I'm doing the will of God because, well, I really just want to do this, and so it must be the will of God. Here's where he's revealed his will. You fact check against this. If it's inconsistent with this, here's a hint. It ain't his will. Well, I really love so-and-so, and I really want her to be my wife. Well, if she's married to somebody else, that ain't God's will. Right? He is not going to lead you to sin or to stray. Right? God doesn't lead you into temptation. Your own lust of your flesh leads yourself into temptation. Right? So, if you want to discern the will of God, read His Word. Read His Word. That's what He's revealed. That's why it's there. All right? So don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed. The renewing of your mind. All right, let's go back to 1 Peter. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance... That was the old, so what's the new? But as he which hath called you is holy. Who called you? God called you. Is he holy? You better believe it. We have two different visions of the throne, and you've got these celestial beings, the seraphims, and what are they crying out over and over and over again? Holy, holy, holy. He is pure. He is perfect. He is hallowed. Our minds can't even wrap around something that good and that great. But He is holy. Who gets to pick, to define what holy is? He does. He does. It's Him. All right? We don't get to pick our own definitions. It says, So be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Why? Because it is written. He's going to the Old Testament. He's saying, here's a quote from the Old Testament. Be ye holy for I am holy. Who's speaking there? God. It's an instruction. You live a holy life because you're my people because I am holy. I've called you that. He's called you to be his people. So as he which hath called you is holy, God is holy, so be ye holy in some aspects of your life on Sunday mornings and don't worry about it the rest of the time. Be holy in all manner of conversation. So when I talk on the phone, I have to talk holy. (laughs) conversation means your whole manner of life the things that you do the things that you say the things that you think about the things that you read you want to be as close as you can following the pattern of Jesus Christ will you be perfect? no is that an excuse to stop? no be ye holy because it is written uh, be holy for I am holy And, so that from 13 down here, we've all got these practical applications. These things are true. We're blessing God for that He's called us out of from death into life. He's got uh, a wonderful inheritance prepared for us that can't go away. He is um, keeping us by His power. These things are all true. And then from 13 down, it goes, because of that, what do you do? Gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober. Hope to the end. Be obedient children. Not 
in the manner that you were, fashioning yourself as a former lust, but being holy. As he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Verse 17, And if you call on the Father, if you're praying to the Father, who without respect of persons judgeth according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. All right? The Lord sees how we're living that out. Okay, He sees, and we need to pass our time with fear. Now that's, we talked a little bit about this design yesterday. Fear is not something that we like to think about. Right? And generally we have it kind of put in a box of fear bad. Right? Not that simple. Go a little bit later in 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3 and in verse 14 and 15. In the context of this portion, we'll get to this later. It says, But and if ye suffer for righteousness sake, hard things are happening to you because you're doing the right thing, happy are ye. <laughs> And be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. But sanctify the Lord God in your heart. Set Him apart as holy. Recognize that He's holy in your heart. God's holy. And be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Okay? Meekness and fear. Here's a combination here that you're going through a hard time because of your trying to serve God. And someone's asking you, well, why are you still <laughs> happy about it? You're not troubled, you're not afraid, you can give an answer for them. But the way you need to answer is with meekness and fear, with humility and fear. Fear of what? Fear of the Lord. Fear of the Lord. Go back to Luke chapter 23. Boys, Luke chapter 23. We're going to look at the thieves on the cross. Okay. At the beginning of the crucifixion, both thieves are railing on Jesus. They're both mocking him at the beginning, right? Saying, you know, save, you can save yourself, you know, save yourself and save us too. Get us down. It'd be nice. And somewhere along the way, one of the thieves, thieves has something happened to him where he stops mocking, right? It's uh, Luke 23, yep, other page, and verse 39 one of the malefactors, which were hanged, railed on him, saying, If thou be Christ, save thyself and us also. So at this point later, only one's mocking. And the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost not thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? Right? They both were mocking, and at some point along the way, something happened to the one, and now he's asking the other, Don't you fear God? You know, we're here justly. We, we're getting the... the, the the reward for our actions. We, we've been wrong. But this man, he's done nothing amiss. And he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto you, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. Okay? One man feared the Lord, and the other didn't. And this fear, this fear is a, a reverential fear. A love and an honor, a recognition of the power of and authority of this God. If we don't fear God today, here's the truth, is that we don't hold Him high enough in our lives, and we think Him too small, not powerful. Um, go back to Psalm 111. Psalm 111. There's, there's many folks who spend a lot of time going to school and trying to get smarter and smarter, and they think they've obtained wisdom. But if you look at Psalm 111 and verse 10, it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. 
we cannot grow in our wisdom unless we have that starting point. That the Lord is worthy of fear. He's worthy of our of our love and honor and respect. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. This is Psalm 111, verse 10. A good understanding have all they that do His commandments. That sounds a lot like being obedient children, right? And living holy. Good understanding. His praise endureth forever. If you back up one verse to verse 9, it says, He sent redemption unto His people. God do that? Yeah, absolutely. Had He done it when the psalm was written? Not yet. He had redeemed and saved Israel out of Egypt, and He'd saved them time and time again from their enemies. But this is the real redemption that was sent by Jesus, that He came to redeem, to pay off the debt for you and I. He hath commanded His covenant forever. Holy and reverend is His name. It's the only time the word reverend appears in Scripture, and it's referring to God Himself. That's why we don't address men who are preachers as reverend. That's a, t- that's a title that Scripture only points to God. And the word behind reverend means to fear. That's not something you could say for me. There's nothing about me that's worthy of fear. But God, He is worthy of our fear. And this fear, again, is not the fear that God is going to squish us like a bug. Right? It's not the fear of, oh, I'm, I'm terrified before Him because He's going to get me. Now, this is the fear that, that a young child has for his father, right? That you you love and respect and admire, but you know that that father can be dangerous, right? And he'll chasten you. It's out of love, and he will. He will chasten you. But he has significantly more power and authority than over that small child, right? And it's on that scale, but it's infinitely greater. He is worthy of our fear. Go to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28 says, Wherefore... Hebrews 12 and 28. Wherefore, we receive in a kingdom which cannot be moved. Again, talking about that inheritance um, that we will have, that's unfading, undefiled, that, that doesn't go away, incorruptible. We've received, we'll receive that kingdom which cannot be moved. Let us have grace now, whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. Verse 29 says why? For our God is a consuming fire. Right. Remember when Moses received the law back in Mount Sinai? What was going on? The mountain was all a smoke. There was smoke coming down and fire coming up and there was thunder and lightning and trumpets so loud that the people were terrified to hear the voice of God. Right. We serve a very mighty, mighty, mighty God. And He's holy and He's perfect. And the fact that He was willing to allow our Lord second person of the Trinity, to come into the world in a very humble and meek and quiet form. Like, he's not going to be hollering in the streets. He's not going to break uh, reeds that are already smoking flax, right? The idea of that he was just so gentle when he came. It's amazing, right? That's the approachable Lord that you have. But our God is a mighty God, a consuming fire. And we should serve him with reverence and godly fear. We should care very much about whether what we're doing is holy or whether it's fashion ourselves about against our old self. Those ignorance, the lust, right? That fear is not say, if I do this wrong thing, God's going to cast me into hell. That's not the idea. The idea is that I fear my God and I love my God and I want to please Him well, right? Out of gratitude, okay? Past the time of your sojourning here in fear... Verse 18, For as much 
as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things. Here's something that you need to have in your idea. Why are you fearing Him? You were redeemed by something. The price you had against your head was paid for. It's like you know, idea of you go to a foreign country and they capture you in a hostage and they send back a ransom note, right? Well, our government doesn't negotiate with terrorists. At least that's what they told me when I went overseas to Guatemala. They said, now, if you're captured, our government doesn't negotiate with terrorists and we're not going to pay your ransom. So, sorry. <laughs> um, but here, there was a price that was paid for you and I. We were redeemed from that situation where we, we couldn't pay. We had nothing to pay. But it says, what were you redeemed with? It wasn't corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers. Now, these, these are Gentiles, right? They used to be idol worshippers. He's saying those things that you used to give to those false gods, whether they're made of gold or silver or whatever oblations or offerings you were given, that didn't do anything. It's not that. It's something far, far better. You were redeemed, verse 19, with the precious blood of Christ, right? How valuable did God consider you in exchange for you and every other single one of His children, He gave the most precious commodity in existence. The blood of Jesus Christ. Okay? If God loves you that much, ought we to love one another whom He also gave that same price for? That's why Jesus said, If you love Me, keep My commandments. <laughs> By this shall all men know that you're My disciples. If ye... Love one another as I have loved you. What standard of love are we held to holding each other to? Is it just a little standard? Is it, is it the relatively low standard of loving your neighbor? Your neighbor just says, love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. Now, we all love ourselves per, a lot, right? Our, our, ourselves tends to be our favorite person. Love your neighbor that much. Your brothers and sisters, Jesus said, love them as I, who's speaking, Jesus, have loved you. That's a really high standard. Why? Because he was willing to lay down his very life for you. Can we love one another better? Yes. yes. What's something we should be praying for this church and for all the Lord's churches is that we will grow in our love. Right? This is what the letter to the Philippians, Paul was praying for them. Every time he thought about it, I'm praying that you grow in love, grow in knowledge, and grow in judgment. Right? I prayed that this morning. In our prayer for this church, that we grow in love and knowledge and judgment. Okay? So we were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ from verse 19. As of a lamb without blemish and without spot. And you can go back and you can see the, the overlap between the Passover lamb and how Jesus was fulfilling that type. We won't get into that today. Um, who was verily foreordained before the foundation of the world. Now, if y'all been doing... Your homework assignment is we're looking at the first ten chapters of Genesis and one of the questions of what are the key events that occurred before this period? You may think, well, this is creation. What came before? See that expression there? Before the foundation of the world? That occurs several times in Scripture. That's a good thing to do a word search on and see what are all events does Scripture say happened before creation? Well, one is that God knew and God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Ghost all knew that Christ was going to come into this world and save His people. It was foreordained. It was new, known in advance. Okay? It didn't happen. God created the world. Adam fell and they go, well, what are we going to do? No. God knew. God knows it all. God's never been surprised. Christ was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was it plain back then? No, it was veiled. It was hidden. 
Little by little it was opened up. It says, but was manifest in these last times were for you. It was revealed. Jesus came and as the apostles have been continued to get the inspiration by the Holy Spirit to open up the rest of it, you get to see it. What was manifest in these last times for you? Jesus Christ. Who by Him do believe? It was manifest in these last times for you. And the next verse starts with who. Who's the who? You. You to who. It's talking about you. You by Him, Jesus Christ, do believe in, in who? In God. Sounds like an old bit. Who's on first right now? You believe by Jesus Christ. You believe in God. That raised Him up from the dead and gave Him glory. That your faith and hope might be in yourself. In inner strength. If you just trust yourself and believe in... I did a CE for attorney. I don't know if I shared this story with you. But they got some really... It was... I have no idea. It was on wellness, but the idea was spirituality. And there's this guy talking up there, and he's given a definition for faith, and his definition of faith was all focused on, on self, of believing that if you believe that you can do in your inner truth and your inner peace, and, and y'all, that's a real sorry definition for faith. That's right. If you've been given the gift of faith, that's the ability to believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And that he came into this world to save his people. And that he did. That's faith. Okay? That's a, it's a supernatural spiritual gift. Right? You can't generate it. And it, it really doesn't start or have much to do with you other than the impact that it shows up in your life. Right? So who? You, by him, do believe in God that raised him, Jesus, from the dead and gave him, Jesus, glory that your faith and hope might be in God. Now, as I was going through this, I took a little orange highlighter and I highlighted that, your faith. Because there's a pattern here in this chapter 1 talking about faith. So go back to verse 5. Again, you you who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time, down in verse 7, that the trial of your faith, receiving the end of your faith, down in verse 9, All right, and then it brings you all the way down to 21. You've been given faith, your faith is going to be tested. At the end of your faith, you're going to receive the end result. Jesus Christ and Him glorified. That your faith might be in God. And then same thing there with hope. I hope did that with a different color. Go back to verse 3. He hath begotten us again unto a lively hope. A living hope. And you go on down to 13. Wherefore, gird up your loins of your mind, be sober. Hope to the end. For the grace that is be brought unto you by the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's Jesus Christ's work. He was foreordained. It's by His precious blood that you are redeemed. It's by Him you believe in God. And that's by your faith and hope. By Him you do believe in God that raised Him up from the dead and gave Him glory that your faith and hope might be in God. All right? You have faith. You have hope. It's not in yourself. If your hope is in your strength and your faith is in yourself, that's, that's sorry. All right? One day this body's going to wear out, your mind's going to wear out, and we're, we're going to die. Right? That's, that's the end result. Your man's born to die. right? That Sin came into the world and everyone um, is going to die. But our faith and our hope are in God. Okay? And as we're going through trials and we're going through tribulations and we're learning this knowledge better and our faith is being purified, you'll see what it ultimately points back to. It's not self. It's pointing you back to God. And how He's had this thing all handled before there was light. Right? 
before Genesis 1-1, he knew. And nothing has surprised him. And he's got it. Verse 22, Seeing ye have purified your souls, and obeying the truth through the Spirit, unto the unfeigned love of the brethren. Right, so he's writing unto believers, right? They're already believed. That's why he's writing to them. And he's giving them encouragement and saying, you know, because you're believing, because you know this, do something, right? Fashion yourself as obedient children, sober and alert, seeing that you've already done something. You've already been purifying your souls. You've already been growing and obeying the truth so much that you have an unfeigned love for the brethren. Unfeigned. That means not pretended, not fake, not hypocritical. You know, the, the, the feigned love says, oh, I love you, and then it's out of your presence, and man, I can't stand that guy. Right? Or, or bless his heart, and insert whatever vile words you're about to describe about somebody. Right? So, unfeigned, real love. You've already gotten that far. Well, what was the prayer for the Philippians? Grow more. Grow more. Love more. You've already got to the unfeigned love of the brethren. See that ye love one another with a pure heart, clean heart, fervently, intensely, intently. Right? Can our love, does our love have room to grow? You better believe it. <laughs> right? And we need to. Being born again. We are born again already. Right? If you're already loving the brother, you're already born again. That is one of the manifestations, one of the fruits that's only visible if you're born again. If you've got the Holy Spirit dwelling within you, is that you love the brethren. Before that, you think, these folks are a bunch of nuts. What are they doing coming here on a Sunday morning? I mean, we could be sleeping. We could be out getting a second job. We could be watching sports. Whatever it is that's more important back then... But when the Lord opens your eyes, you say, whoa, there's something different here. There's something of value. Do we have it all figured out? No. Do we need to grow in knowledge? Yep. But if you're already at that point, you're already born again. And that's not of corruptible seed. That's nothing within you, but of an incorruptible seed. That which came from God the Father, the Holy Spirit. But of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. Now, some folks will get really torn up with this passage and say, see, you're born again. By the Bible, by the preaching, by the gospel. See, it says, by the word of God. Okay? Let's read on a little bit and see if that's really what's being discussed here in context. Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. For all flesh is as grass, and the glory of man is the flower of grass. The grass withereth, and the flower fadeth away. All right, you know, we're going to die. There's something incorruptible. But the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. Now, if that word is the gospel, then how is the gospel preaching it unto you? Right? It would be the same thing. The word here is something different. And I'll show you what that is. Hebrews 4. Hebrews 4 and verse 12. Another passage is often kind of misquoted. For the word of God, Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is quick. Quick means alive. Okay? Alive. And powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of the soul and spirit and the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. For someone to discern something, 
Someone has to be thinking, right? Distinguishing. Verse 13, Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in His sight, but all things are naked and open up to the eyes of Him with whom we have to do. In these two passages here, the Word of God is not referring to the written Scripture. The Word of God here is referring to Jesus Christ Himself. He is the discerner. He is the one who can cut all... There's nothing you can hide from Him, right? He can separate between your body and your soul. He can see it. He can discern it, right? How are you made alive? By the Word of God, by Jesus Christ Himself. Well, how can you know that this is referring to Jesus? Go to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. It's a name given to the second person in the Trinity. John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, if you read a Jehovah's Witness Bible, they'll add in a word, A. The Word was a God, and they try to make Jesus into some kind of lower demigod, something or other, not God, God. He's God! He's the second person in the Trinity. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him. Was Jesus there? The Word present at creation? Yeah! Was He active? All things were made by Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. Are there any exceptions in that? Was Jesus active in creation? Yeah, everything. (laughs) He was there. He's God. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. I don't have it flagged, but let's go over to Revelation and verse 19, just to make it painfully obvious that we're talking about the same. Revelation 19, verse 11. I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And he that sat on him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness does he judge and make war. His eyes were a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed in a vesture dipped in blood. And his name is called the Word of God. Okay, This is your glorified Jesus coming back. Last judgment day, the picture of him. But his name there is the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, with which he shall smite the nations, and rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of God Almighty. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Who is the Word? Jesus Christ. So if you go back to First Peter, with all those verses in mind, where it says, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, it's Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, which liveth and abideth forever. Verse 25, for the word of God endureth forever. And this is the word, Jesus Christ, which by the gospel is preached unto you. What is the good news of the gospel? Jesus Christ! and Him crucified and resurrected and returning. So, can one be born again without hearing the gospel preached? Yes. Yes. You want an example? John the Baptist. He was still in his mother's belly. He was in utero. And Mary comes in, and his mama hears a voice, and the babe leapt 
for joy. Now, both the mother of John and Mary, you know, had divine inspiration in what they were about to speak, and you can read all that in, in Luke. But the babe leapt for joy. Not just kicking, but he leapt for joy when he heard. So, And it was prophesied that he would be filled from the Holy Ghost from, from the womb. Okay? So, just wanted to clear up that verse. How are we doing on time? We've got a little bit of time. Got to another wherefore. Chapter 2, verse 1. Wherefore? We had a wherefore back in 13. Because of all these things are true, conduct yourself in a manner that is holy, that's obedient, that's sober-minded, because you weren't redeemed with just any old vain, corruptible thing. You were redeemed with the precious blood of God. Seeing you already love your brothers and an unfeigned love, love more intently, because you were born again of something incorruptible by the work of Jesus Christ. And He's not going away, and His love for you is perfect. Love His children more and more. Verse two, or Chapter 2, verse 1. Wherefore... Laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and evil speakings. What's that? That's all the stuff of before. That's what we do by our old nature, our old man. That's what we've got to lay against. Malice, guile, hypocrisies, envies, evil speaking. That's all, that's all the nastiness that we get into with our, with our mouth and with our heart and our tents. Lay all that aside. What's the context of it? Loving your brethren more. Are you going to have a hard time loving your brethren and having harmony within the body if you're conducting yourself in that manner? Yeah, you're going to call strife and division. Lay aside. And that's got the same idea back in Hebrews 12.1 when it says to lay aside every weight of sin that does so easily beset you. Set it down. Lay it aside. All malice and guile, hypocrisies, envies, all evil speakings, and instead do what? As newborn babes desire urgently long for the sincere milk of the word. Have we switched back to scripture or are we still talking about Jesus? We're still talking about Jesus. That ye may grow thereby if be if so be you've tasted that the Lord is gracious. If you've tasted that sincere milk of the word which is Jesus, if you've tasted that it is gracious, that he's gracious desire it. Desire to know more of him. Desire to be closer to him. To be to be fed by Him. Right? Jesus would say that He was the, the, the living waters, right? And the Holy Spirit provides that to His children, that the living waters where you can come and drink, these wells of salvation where you can come forth and draw more and more and more. Desire that rather than the things of old, the things of this world, the cheap tricks, right? The malice, the envy, the hypocrisies, the evil speakings. All that's a manifestation of I want my way, whatever my way is, rather than I desire more of Christ. Let me die to self daily. Let my stuff go smaller and let me know more of Him. As newborn babes, you know, as, as, as little Elizabeth wants her mama so badly, Daddy can pick her up and I'm kind of okay for a minute or two, but when she's hungry, she wants her mama. Y'all, we should be hungry for the Lord. Blessed are you which hunger after righteousness and you'll be filled. Desire Him. Desire the sincere milk of the Word. Now, am I saying, don't read your Bibles? I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying this particular verse is talking about a Word that's even better than just the written Word. This is the living Word, the enduring Word, Jesus Christ. If so be that you've tasted that the Lord is gracious. To whom coming? Who are we coming to? Jesus, coming to Christ. To whom coming as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. Okay. This uh, concept of being a, a living stone that's rejected by men. This is. Let's go back to Matthew 21, I think. 
and see if we can't flesh this out a little, just a little bit. Matthew 21 starts with, just paraphrase, it starts with some Pharisees who come unto Jesus and say, um, these things you're teaching, where do you get this authority? And he asks them a question and says, you know, I'll answer your question if you answer mine. And the baptism of John, does it come from heaven or of men? And they say, well, we can't really answer because we say of heaven. And they say, why didn't you believe him? Say of men, then they're afraid of the people because they cared about what people thought. And people thought that John the Baptist was a prophet. So they didn't want to upset anybody. So they just say, we can't answer. He says, well, I'm not going to answer your question either, but I'll give you a parable. And he says, there's two men who had sons. One, he says, go to my vineyard. And work, and that son says, "Yep, I'll go." Um, or no, he said, "I won't go." But afterwards, he repented and went. And then he came to his other son, and he says, uh, "Go to work in my vineyard." And that son says, "Yeah, I'll go." But then he doesn't go. Right? So one was disobedient at first, and later repented and went. The other lied about his obedience and never went. And he asked, "Whither the twain did the will of his father?" And they say unto him, "The first. Then he gives him. Another example, it says, Verily I said to you, the publicans and the harlots go into the kingdom of God before you. Um, Alright, for the sake of time, I'm just going to paraphrase. You read the rest of that chapter. He is rebuking them because they have given lip service to God. But now that the Son is there, they, want, they don't want to have anything to do with Him. They want to have the glory and power and prestige of being religiously mighty, but they don't want Him. Right? And gives that parable about um, the, the householder who gave the vineyard to husbandmen to, to watch it and keep it, but when he came time to collect the fruits, they, they mistreated the servants, and later he sent the son. They ultimately killed him. What's he going to do to those? You know, they answer, you know, he's going to destroy those wicked husbandmen and give the vineyard to another, right? He says, yeah. Verse 22, Did ye never read in the Scriptures the stones which the builders rejected, the same as become the head of the corner? This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. He's quoting Old Testament scripture there to him, and he's got the. This, it's a building. It's a construction analogy. All right, when you're building a building, you got to have something that says, "All right, this is how it's going to be oriented." Right, that cornerstone is where you lay that first, and everything behind it and up is based on the orientation of that stone. Right. Well, here he's saying that you, as builders, the Pharisees, the ones who are saying that we know the law. We've got it. We've got it understood. You say, this cornerstone, which is Jesus there, but we don't want that. We want something else. And that was what was told would happen in the Old Testament. It says the builders would reject it. The stone which the builders rejected, the same is become the head of the corner. And this is marvelous in the eyes, uh, in, in the, this is the Lord's doing and is marvelous in our eyes that there's going to be two reactions to Jesus Christ. One is going to be Flat-out rejections. Not him. We don't want that. No. And then there's a reaction of his children that's going to be very different. And it's both using stone illustrations. So one is that we don't want him. Now, he's still going to be the head of the corner whether you want it or not. Go back to Ephesians to Ephesians chapter 2. Looking too far. Ephesians chapter 2. So that's one, one reaction. The world, the world who's naturally at enmity with God, carnal self, hates him. Don't want that. But for his children, who used to be like that, right? That's the kicker. We're no better than anybody else. But for God's grace, we'd still be there. He pulled us out of that. 
11. Ephesians 2, verse 11. Wherefore remember that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision, by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hand. So he's writing unto people who used to be you know, non-Jews, non-believers. They were you know, called the uncircumcision by the Jews. That at that time you were without Christ. You were outside of it. You weren't in natural Israel, being aliens to the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. That was... But now, where are you now? But now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, but hath made both one and broken down the middle wall of partition between us. There's no longer a distinction between Jew and Gentile. If you're a believer in Christ, you're all of one family. He broke down that wall, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make of himself of twain one new man, and so making peace, that he might be reconciled both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby, and came and preached peace unto you, which were afar off, and to them that were nigh. And so the gospel was preached to both Jews and Gentiles, far off and nigh. For through him we both have access by one Spirit unto the Father. Now therefore, that was all context, just from, here's the stone thing. Now therefore, ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God and are built upon the foundations of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. He's what sets everything else as right. All the apostles, all the prophets, everything that came before is reflecting off of him, and you've been built into that. All right, In whom the whole building, fitly framed together, groweth unto a holy temple in the Lord. Now, the Lord's building it, right? He's the one who's building this temple. His family, He is making it. You know, ever seen on Facebook some folks laying bricks who are not bricklayers, and they're just all <laughs> cattywampus. And, no, this is fitly framed together. Everything is perfect, right? That's how He is into a holy temple in the Lord. In whom ye are also builded together for a habitation of God through the Spirit. So, Individually, as a living stone and as the, the Holy Spirit, individually, you are a temple of God. The Holy Spirit dwells within you. Your purpose is to bring worship and praise and sacrifice through your life. It's reasonable sacrifice. And then collectively, as a group, we are another temple together where we are praising God. That He's built us all together on that which came before, and it's all built up. So if you go back to 1 Peter, you'll see those two reactions. To whom coming as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men. The builders rejected him. We don't want them. Disallowed. Hated him, right? The Jews, they, he came to his own, and his own received him not. That was how it would be told in the Old Testament. But chosen of God. He was the elect of God. He was chosen and precious. That word precious means valuable. How valuable? The most valuable. There's nothing more precious. Ye also, so you and me as lively stones are built up a spiritual house together and individually and holy priesthood to do what? To offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. So we could have a whole message on what, what are examples of spiritual practice, sacrifices. A couple of examples without going to anything is sacrifice of praise, of thanksgiving, of worship. We're not up here slaying animals anymore. Those all pointed to Christ. There's no point in doing it anymore. The perfect one has already been done. Right? So when we talk about spiritual sacrifices, we're not talking about shedding blood up here. That wouldn't add any value. But how do we live our lives, right? 
in praise and in gratitude and in holiness. That glorifies Him. That is a spiritual sacrifice which is acceptable to God by Jesus Christ, by His work. Whatever feeble efforts we offer, it's acceptable by Jesus' work. Wherefore also it is contained in Scripture, he's quoting Old Testament here, he's quoting Isaiah 28, 16. Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. God said it was going to be this way, that he was going to found Jesus as that cornerstone, and you who are believing on him, you won't be confounded, you won't be shamed, you won't say he wasn't good enough at the end. He is. Unto you which believe, you and I, he is precious. But unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner. That's quoting Psalm 118, verse 22. <coughs> and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. That's quoting Isaiah 8.14. And all these things were told. Right? Those prophets who are saying these are the things that we, we don't understand it fully, but God's speaking through them. There's going to be this one, the Messiah who comes, and he's going to be a stone. To some, he's going to be a stone that's most precious and most wonderful, and I want to fix my life using that as my reference point. That's what's straight. That's what is uh, upright. Everything else is crooked and warped. He is who I want. And then there are those who will see him and think, nope, don't want anything to do with that. And that's the one that will stumble at him. He's a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed, which was set down. And that's probably enough for today. Thank you all for your time and attention.